Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Ted Nolan. Ted played eight years of professional hockey, winning an American Hockey League Calder Cup championship with the Adirondack Red Wings, while also playing in the big show, the National Hockey League, with both the Detroit Red Wings and the Pittsburgh Penguins. After injuries derailed his playing career, Ted transitioned to coaching and led his hometown Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds to three straight appearances in the Memorial Cup, winning the Canadian Junior Hockey Championships in 1993. Ted went on to coach both the Buffalo Sabres and the New York Islanders in the NHL, winning the Jack Adams Award as Coach of the Year in the 96-97 season. Ted also had a wonderful international coaching experience, leading the Latvian men's team to its best-ever Olympics finish at the 2014 Sochi Games, while at the same time almost giving Canadians coast-to-coast a heart attack when they took Team Canada down to the wire in the quarterfinals. Ted is also the proud father of two boys that both made it to the NHL, Brandon and three-time Stanley Cup champion Jordan. Welcome, Ted, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? Thank you very much, first of all, for, for asking me to be part of your show, Andrew. And I, I'm very well. we got a little place down near Niagara Falls. We're originally from Garden River First Nation outside of Sault Ste. Marie. But as life uh, progressed, my, both my boys... Uh, Met girls away from uh, away from the community. One lives in Whitby, Ontario, and one lives in St. Catharines. So, uh, being a typical grandparent, we moved closer to the to, to see the grandkids. So it's uh, good down here majority of the time. But we make Garden River our, our home home. Excellent. So it sounds like family's doing well, and of course, with grandkids, you get to spoil them, and then you get you get to give them back. That's the best part. <laughs> Well, let's jump right into it because you do have such a great story, Ted. Let's go all the way back, get the Ted Nolan story. Where were you born? And please describe your upbringing. Uh, I was born in a little small, small, small house in in Garden River First Nation. There was a, uh, it's a it was a small community when I grew up, maybe four or five hundred people. I'm from a large family. I got six brothers and, and five sisters. Grew up in a house lacking lacking electricity at the, at the beginning, early age. Uh, we had wood stove to heat the house. We had outdoor toilet to go to the bathroom. And, you know, it was a lot, a lot of times, because uh, times were, were lean and times were tough. And there was a lot of times we didn't uh, didn't have too much to, to eat and going up to a day school on the communities. Uh, we were very fortunate. We didn't have to go to uh, residential schools, but we did go to start off in, in the day schools before it closed in uh, in the early 60s, I believe. But anyways, uh, life was good. It was uh, it was tough, but but it was also warm and and, and uh, caring uh, group. We we did a lot of powwow dancing. We did a lot of ceremonies growing up. We had a Hiawatha play on, on the community that I was very fortunate to play little Hiawatha. So uh, growing up with my brothers and playing uh, softball, uh, fastball, uh, all the, all kinds of sports. But hockey was the one that really took the, took a liking to me, and I and I liked I liked it. Well, Ted, you've said before, the way your story starts, listeners will think you were born in 1858 as opposed to being born in 1958. As you say, 12 kids, small house, no plumbing, no electricity, but you persevered. Your first skates were so oversized when you were young. What did you have to do to fill them out? Oh, I put uh, big, you know, those red, red gummy uh, rain boots here you put on, put those things on with some couple pairs of socks and, and squeezed them right in and, and made them fit. And that's how, that's how I, I basically learned, uh, learned how to skate. And, you know, like I said, uh, we didn't have a whole lot. And then when you got a little bit older, then uh, the older brothers had passed you down, so handy, handy down skate. I didn't have a, a new pair of skates until I, I started playing uh, 
junior, uh, it was called the Major Junior Hockey in Manitoba Junior Hockey League when I was 16 years old, playing with the Kenora Thistles, that I actually got my, my first real pair of skates. Well, let's talk about that, because that was such a pivotal point for you. You left home at the age of 16, as you say, to play for the Kenora Thistles in the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. This was a very difficult experience, Ted, from what I understand. What happened the very first time you got speared on the ice, and what happened in this transition? Well, you know, that was a, the, the, I don't tell you the truth, Andrew, I didn't even know how we got there to begin with. Uh, I was playing house league hockey one day in Sault Ste. Marie, and next day I'm, I'm, I'm skating with the Sioux Greyhounds of the Ontario Hockey League as a tryout. And one of the scouts on the team happened to be the coach and general manager of the Kenora Thistles in the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. And he asked if I'd be interested in coming up to try out for his team. And I went out. I was lucky enough to, to make the team, but the, it wasn't an easy transition. And I, I say this everywhere I go. Uh, hockey, to me, that year kind of switched from, I, I, like I said, I, I just loved the game. I, I really did. And that's, I, I didn't play the game to play in the National Hockey League. I just played because it was a great game to play. And uh, playing on reserves, and we played in this tournament called Little NHL growing up. Uh, with all the native little native hockey league. So we, we had a lot of fun playing. So when they asked me to go to Kenora, um, I thought I was going to go to Disney World and, and play. Yeah. I, I was so excited about it. And then my, my, first, um, my first practice, and that's where I, t- I mentioned to a lot of people that uh, hockey to me that year kind of made a switch. It came and made a switch from loving the game to, to, to trying to survive in the game. And a big guy kind of didn't like the way I looked. I had long hair back in the back in the day, down back past my shoulders, and uh, he didn't like uh, my kind. And uh, he just uh, said, "What are you doing here? You sinking wahoo!" And, and he speared me in the gut. And, and the only thing I knew, growing up with six brothers, is uh, is a spear back. And uh, and, I, and I said, "I was here first. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I speared him, and then we we fought, and it, and it just didn't get any. It didn't get any easier." Uh, next day, then somebody else would try, and then the third day, somebody else would try. So, uh, so I found myself fighting in hockey, which I never did before, uh, for the first week, uh, ten days of training camp. That was just on our team. That was that was in with the opposition yet. Yeah. But I went to school, and, and the school wasn't much better. Uh, one day, walking out, I think my first or second day, I got jumped in a parking lot by a couple of guys. And so it wasn't uh, wasn't easy. I, I remember crying myself to sleep and uh, wondering why why people would treat people so mean and, and so cruel. And being a first time away from home was uh, was was tough too for any sixteen year old kid leaving home. It, it's tough. But when you when you throw bullying on top of it and you throw in the uh, uh, racial tensions and, and uh, discrimination and racism on top of that, it was, it was extremely tough. And, and so I, I, couldn't, I couldn't handle both places at, at one time. So something had to give, so I, I stopped going to school. I just stopped. Mm. And uh, I, I went back later. Uh, the, the following season, I went back. But that year, I did not go to school. And, uh, and, it, and it was amazing. I still got my phys ed course. They gave me one credit for the whole <laughs> three, ten, 10 years. So. But it, it was a very tough year. My, my two brothers uh, came to town to watch me play. Uh, I thought to watch me play, but they, they came to town to bring me home. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that year, uh, going up, my, my father just passed away that year. So it was, you know, it was, it was tough leaving home, and then you lose your father on top of it, and first time in, in a in a strange environment. You know, growing up in a first nation community and, and living in a city is is kind of like two different worlds, and it was very very hard to maneuver. They came to town to get me home, and um, and for whatever reason, my wife even. Uh, 
Uh, to this day, she keeps asking me, what, what made you stay? Not liking it as much, not uh, despising where I played. Uh, but I think because I was born with this stubborn bone inside me that uh, if I was going to leave, I was going to leave because I, I wasn't good enough, not because somebody chased me away. Yeah. I, I stayed because I wanted to prove that I could. And, yeah. Uh, and um, uh, lucky thing I did because I, I ended up winning Rookie of the Year on the team. I uh, scored a number of goals. Got, I got better and better. And then the following season, I went back to Sioux St. Marie Greyhounds and, and made the team. So it was, a, it was a tough year. Would I recommend anybody doing that? No, not, not, not a chance. It, it yeah. was, but with, with my situation, my timing, it was just, I think it was necessary to, to fight through. Like our, like our survivors in, in residential schools, they didn't want to go through what they went through, but they, they fought through it uh, for the next generation. So by me fighting through it, hopefully it uh, inspired the, the next generation of kids. Well, those are certainly two hallmarks associated with you, Ted. Resiliency, perseverance. As you say, you came home to play for your Sioux Greyhounds in the Ontario Hockey Association. In your second season there, 77-78, you played along a youngster. Some of us have heard of him, Wayne Gretzky. What did you remember about Wayne at that time? You know, at, at that time, I was uh, I was so naive on the game. I didn't know they had drafts. I, I didn't know kids were drafted. And I didn't know Wayne was the first overall pick. Uh, I didn't listen to much uh, sports on, on radio. I listened to old country music on it. Yeah. So our family wasn't really uh, big. We, we played sports. We didn't follow sports that much. So I went to camp the second year. I seen this little, uh, little skinny kid from Southern Ontario, longer, blonde hair. Uh, everybody kept talking about it, kept talking about how good he is. I'm going, Jason, he's going to get killed. He's just a, just a tiny little bugger. And uh, then all of a sudden, we, we, we went through training camp. We played our first uh, first game. I think we won 7-1 or something like that. And he scored a, a goal and six assists. I'm going, wow, this guy's amazing. And then what I did uh, is, Andrew, is I, I kind of watched him at, at practice all the time. The way he spun on a dime, the way the big guys were coming at him and, and spinning off, and they, they couldn't couldn't catch him and couldn't get him. They didn't catch him, but they couldn't maintain him because he was just a little wiry guy. And, geez, he, he was smart, smart. So it was a, it was a pleasure uh, playing with him at, the, at that time um, and watching him because I, I think he probably improved our, our team by 100% by just watching him play, and, uh, and we all got better. Well, at the age of 19, Ted, you were drafted 78th overall by the Detroit Red Wings in 1978. Now, of course, this was well before the time of the televised big event draft. What was the buzz leading up to the draft? Or did you even know there was a buzz about you leading up to the draft? I did not know at all. Uh, I, I was sitting at home. Uh, like I said, we were listening to country music playing uh, cribbage on the phone or cribbage on the kitchen table. And all of a sudden, the, the local the sports guy came on. He said, out of the uh, draft, I forget where it was, maybe Montreal. He said, uh, in the fifth round, Detroit Red Wings selected Garden Rivers, Ted Nolan, uh, in the fifth round of the National Hockey League draft. And I kind of looked at, my, I was playing cribbage with my mom, and my girlfriend was there, which is now my wife. We were sitting down, kind of looked at, we kind of looked at each other, and I didn't want to, I get too excited because at the time, you know, things weren't too happy in our house, losing our, my, my father and, and some of the things were going. So uh, you, you didn't want to show that much excitement because things weren't that exciting at home. 
So I kind of, uh, quite for a while, then my wife and I, or my girlfriend at the time, we hopped in the car, went to the woods, and started jumping around and started screaming about <laughs> uh, what just happened. But I, uh, when they said draft, I thought I was drafted in the army or something. I, I did not know. And, and it's funny when I tell this story, people think I'm, I'm kind of making up. I, I didn't make it up. I just didn't know they had an NHL draft. I didn't know about conditioning. I didn't know about uh, skill development. I didn't know about all this stuff that uh, kids. Uh, did in 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 triple a hockey growing up uh, like i said I, I played in house league hockey mode i just played because i, I wanted to play and have some fun i didn't yeah practice it. i want to get to the national hockey league because that was like two lifetimes away so i just played and uh, then all of a sudden I'm, I'm drafted going to detroit red wing camp in in two months with uh, with the leggings of all the nhl players these guys were 220 pounds two 210 i was one i was a buck 70 i think uh, skinny little legs and arms, and I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know nothing about the the conditioning aspect of the game. So we yeah. went, we went to training camp, and, and all of a sudden they have uh, the physical testing. They didn't tell me about that. Yeah, the <laughs> running was okay for me. Then we had to lift this two hundred pound weight ten times or something like that. I got it up one time. It didn't. <laughs> it came down and didn't go back up. I wasn't strong enough. We did this VO2 max and put this big hose over your over your mouth for oxygen intake and all that stuff. I lasted maybe uh, 30 seconds on a bike. I, I, was, I was claustrophobic. So I, I failed the test completely. And about uh, maybe about two weeks later, uh, I, I grabbed my skates um, and, I, and I caught a bus to go home. Part of this was aligned with a an absolutely horrible experience you had with one of your AHL coaches. So drafted by Detroit, you played with their farm teams, Kansas City Red Wings, Adirondack Red Wings. But maybe, Ted, you want to talk about this rotten experience with a coach. He called the team together, mocked the way you skated, and this kind of led to you uh, picking up your skates and saying, I don't need this, I'm going home. Well, it was just uh, my... my, my I, uh... A uh, situation I grew up in with uh, with the AIM movement, the American Indian movement, and, and my brother was in, involved with with them, and and uh, we're fighting so hard to protect who we were as, as First Nation people. We had powwows, we had ceremonies, we had this wonderful cultural way of life, and and all of a sudden it was uh, it was frowned upon and looked down on on others. So we maintained that. Uh, so I was very very proud of of who I was, and um, so. When I get to the, uh, and my brothers always instilled in me, but always be proud of who you are and, and, and fight for who you are. And I, there I am with the professional hockey league team and one of the coaches, I had a rough practice. Buck was bouncing over my stick quite a bit and um, it just wasn't my, 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 my best practice in the world. And, and a coach called everybody to center ice. And he said, I'll show you Ted Nolan School of Stick Handling. And he grabbed the, the stick and turned it over like a tomahawk. And he started whacking the whacking the puck, and uh, I didn't know what else to do. I, I just kind of, when somebody makes fun of you, uh, you kind of either run away or, or run to it. So I, I I went right at the coach. I gave the biggest punch I could I could I could I can give. The players pulled me off him. I went off, took my equipment uh, off in the dressing room, grabbed my skates though, because the skates were mine. Uh, <laughs> grabbed my skates, and I went home and I told uh, told my wife Sandra, I said, "We're we're done. We're 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 out of here." And then she asked me what happened. And I said, "I just punched the coach at practice. I don't think they're gonna want me around too often. They're too much." So anyway, I get a call from the general manager. Uh, he arranged a meeting between me and the coach. We we fixed it up. Uh, uh, 
during a few beers at the at the local pub, and we, we talked, you know, five or six hours, straightened up our, our differences, and uh, and we went on. But now I think back on it, Andrew. I, I think it was such a even for that time, it was such a a bad thing to to do, and I don't think anybody wanted to wanted to hear about that whatsoever. So they they fixed it up pretty quick. Because nowadays, and I told my boys, I mean, don't ever do what I did. If you do what I did, yeah. you're going to kick out of hockey for life. And uh, but I, I think because of how bad it looked on on their side, not so much for me. Um, uh, they couldn't handle the. I don't think they're ready for the publicity even for that time. So uh, we went back, made some, uh, made made good, made friends, and um, uh, played the rest of the year. And the following season, like you said earlier, we won uh, won, won the Calder Cup. Again, that perseverance, resiliency. I mean, winning the Calder Cup that must have been huge for you. I understand you also played. I believe the following year, alongside Pete Mahovlich. Yeah, actually, I played with Pete uh, a little bit with Detroit, and I played, with, and he was on part of our uh, Calder Cup winning team. And you know that that team was such a. And now I look back on it. Jeez, we had uh, Peter Mahovlich won a couple, a few Stanley Cup rings with with Montreal Canadiens. We had another gentleman by the name of uh, Tom Bladen. He was with the Philadelphia Flyers when they won their two Stanley Cups. We had Greg Jolly, who was a two-time, or was a first-round pick in the National Hockey League and WHL at the time. We had Dennis Polonage. We had, I tell you, we, we had George Lyle. Uh, big World uh, Hockey Association star. We had a good friend of mine, Jody Gage, who was uh, set all kinds of scoring. We had a real good. T- we had Dave Hansen from Slapshot on the team. We had a we had a good group of uh, good group of guys, and uh, and I remember going into the playoffs. We were an average team throughout the whole course of the year. And after one game, I think Pete uh, got up in the middle of the room and said, "Hey, boys, we're here. We might as well win it." And all of a sudden, we just turned it on and and cruised through the championship. Uh, I tell you, true, I, I didn't remember too much about that that whole 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 run. Um, that was the year my my mom was killed by a drunk driver at uh, I think in uh, February um, or in January, uh, whatever it was. And I went home for the funeral, and I came back, and from that point on, rest of the season, I, and we we won the Memorial Cup or the Calder Cup that year. But I don't remember too much about the whole thing, except for the one game. I, um, upon my return, I told I, I wanted to score a goal for my my mom, which I did. Yeah. And, uh, we, we won that game, but I don't remember too much. Um, uh, right after the championship, they usually have big parades. We we partook in the parade and we headed we headed home, go back to Garden River. So much mixed emotion. Yeah, it was it was a lot. I mean, you, you want to be happy. Like even when I, when I got drafted, I knew it was an exciting time. But when you're not in an exciting environment, and you know, uh, people are going to worry about where their next meal is coming from, the next job's coming from, and you can't sit down and say, you know, geez, look at me, I just got drafted in the National Hockey League. It's not about me. It's it's about the betterment of, of everybody. And um, so, like even when we we won some, uh, you know, when one coach of the year, but you know, the trophy is down down in the basement. I don't want to showcase it and say, hey, look what we did. Mm. It's a uh, it's, uh, I was very supportive throughout my whole life by by a lot of people, and uh, but to showcase what you did is eh, kind of uh, a little bit uh, arrogance to me. But <laughs> you're a humble guy, Ted. Mm-hmm. Now, when we when you were with the Detroit organization, you got called up to the NHL on two occasions with Detroit. I want to ask if you remember your first NHL game, pulling on the sweater for the first time. I remember the the first game because it was. Um, it was a, a game, and actually, I got a picture of it. Um, 
I was playing, and the uh, first game was in Chicago, I think. But the first game, I, I, I remember Chicago Stadium because of the organ, the great big yep. organ that steps out. And, you, and at the old Chicago Stadium, before they built a new one, the basement, the locker was down down below the ice surface. So mm. you had to walk up and out to the, and then the organ started going. I mean, it was just loud. It was it was the loudest I've ever. And uh, getting into the hotel, that it's funny what you remember. <laughs> you don't you don't remember the game too much, but uh, I remember you know the, the crowd walking up from that dressing room. And yeah, I laid some tobacco before the game because uh, um, it was more for for the, the for the for the kindness and for the people who helped me get to where I got to. You know, the, my family got together when I was in Kenora. Everybody put some money together, bought me a winter coat. It was, it was cold in Kenora. So, so all those little things, you just kind of remember all the people who made some sacrifices for you. I laid some tobacco. I walked up those stairs. rest of the day was blank. I, I don't remember too much. Yeah. Of, but my, my first home game was um, we, we played in, in, um, in uh, Detroit. And there's two busloads from our reserve that came down watched me play. And I got a ch- picture with two of the Chiefs, one from Garden River and one from Rankin after the game. Uh, so I remember those, those type of things a lot, more, a lot more. That's fabulous. Well, in addition to you told us how you played alongside Wayne Gretzky in the Sioux, when you were in Detroit, you played with another youngster, another guy some of us have heard of, Stevie Y, Steve Weiserman. What was your experience being around him and how he grew into the player he became? Well, you know, my my big thing because I, I never had a chance to go to too many hockey schools and and to learn the the craft from it, but it was just kind of self taught. And so when I when I played with uh, Gretzky and the Sioux, and I, I watched them, and all of a sudden you you're getting drafted into the NHL, and I played with the gentleman by the name you're quite sure you, you'll remember the name is Terry Harper. He played with the Montreal Canadiens. And he played with us down in Kansas City, and he, and he showed me about endurance and how to how to maintain my endurance a little bit longer. So we skated, I think, 12, 15 times around the rink about half speed. Then we go the other way, and we do that over and over again. So I learned that from him, and then all of a sudden you're, you're playing with Wayne, and then you're in Detroit playing with Stevie Eisenman, and watching uh, watching the gifts that this young guy had. And I mean, he was just. Usually, guys would bang the puck and try to get it through the pads. Steve would just flick it back and flip it over the pad. And I just watched how, just how, uh, wonder why these guys were so good. And a lot of it's it's natural ability, but uh, vast majority was was how hard they worked in, in practice and, and how they worked on their on their craft. Because uh, as as your craft, you don't just do your your thing because you you do it. You, you got to work on it. So watching the the way they uh, work in practice, the way they they pass the puck, the way they receive it, the way they get their heads up, and and I think uh, that's what helped me become a better coach because I had to learn all that stuff. It, it wasn't natural. Uh, I could not do. <laughs> my brother still gets a kick out of watching my, uh, watching me play junior hockey because I couldn't cross over my right leg over my left. So I had to turn with two skates and go the other way. And he said, Dad, Dad, I used to love the walk because you couldn't you couldn't cross over. <laughs> so then I had to learn it. And so I so I, I think that gave me a big advantage on on coaching because not everybody's a naturally gifted athlete. We, we yeah. have to learn, we have to uh, work on, on certain things. So I think that was my, 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 my big drawing card for, for my coaching ability versus my playing ability. Watch and learn. And it's incredible because you took advantage of these opportunities because if you can believe it, you got Wayne Gretzky, you got Steve Eiserman. After you got released by Detroit, you joined up with the Pittsburgh organization, Rochester Americans, Baltimore Skipjacks. When you got called up to the Penguins, 
Now you find yourself with Mario Lemieux. You got another guy on your team who's top of the NHL uh, food food chain, so to speak, and you would have learned from him as well, I guess. Oh, no, no question. I mean, that, uh, that's my my big claim of fame, I guess, playing with those three three gentlemen, and and it, and you wonder why they're they're so good. That they're so good because they they work at it so so diligently and just the, the little things. Wayne used to grab a puck from the goal line, flip it over the goal line, and and hit the top corner on the far side of the net. I'm going, and the angle is about this much. It wasn't just wide enough for a puck, and he'd hit that angle and. And Stevie Eisman would spin like a diamond. Mario had that long, fluid. It didn't look like he was going very fast, but you skate next to him, but you're doing five strides to his one. And just, uh, but anyway, I was, I was sitting down next to him in, in the stall before the game. And uh, back in the day, they used to have, you know, the I'm not too sure if they still, you know, the, the game program. And in the middle folder, they have the player of the game. And Mario happened to be the, the player. So we reread it in the, in the room. And I walked up to Mario. I said, Mario, can you, uh, can you sign this? He says, to who? He said, to me. <laughs> he said, get out of here, Teddy. I said, no, no to me. So then we signed it to, to Teddy uh, Mario. So I, I still got it at home. Oh, you do? Good. Still got it at home. So even, you know, even playing with these guys, to me, was, uh, was a big thrill. And you know, playing against Guy Lafleur, you know, the, the late Guy Lafleur was uh, in the old Montreal form, was, was such a uh, – he slashed me one time across the – across the top of my, my skate. That's the only place you could slash a guy where it would hurt. Mm-hmm. And it, it hurt. It stung. Uh, did I do anything? No, I didn't do anything. I, I just couldn't <laughs> wait to be, to get, call my brother after the game and say, this is slash me tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so just those little simple things. But, uh, when you come from a very simple background, uh, simple things are, are pretty big. Uh, that's great. That's great. You're a, you were a fan too. Ted, your playing career ended at the age of 26, you had some serious back injuries. How did you move into coaching, and how did this involve the great Phil Esposito? Well, you know, it, uh, when I retired from from the game of hockey, the game of hockey to me it was a it was a love hate relationship. Uh, I, I wanted to play to prove that I could. I, I wish I would have loved the game as much as I, I did when I was a youngster. But vast majority of my 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 playing career was just to prove, keep proving, keep proving, keep proving. And then finally, when I had my back injury. Um, I was probably as happy that day when my career ended, probably more happier than, than when it started. I said, I don't have to play anymore. I don't have to go through this. Uh, back in the day, too, there was, there was a lot of fighting and, and aggressive hockey was in town. And these guys, I was, I was 175, 180, and these guys were 6'3", 6'4", 220. And they shouldn't be fighting guys that small. I, I think it's a, it's a form of bullying myself. But anyways, I, I, I made it through. And I was so thankful that I made it through and I was done. And so I enrolled back into school. I went to Lake Superior State University. And I ran into the, uh, the Lakers coach. His name was Frank Anselm. And he asked if I wanted to be a, help him out of practice a few times, which I did. And I kind of liked it. Um, it was a lot different from, from playing. It wasn't about me anymore. It was about uh, giving some tips for, for the younger players. Phil Esposito found out I was helping the American team, and he said, what are you doing? You're alumni with us. Why don't you go? So I said, long story short, he, he convinced me to come, and about a month later, uh, they released the head coach, and they asked if I be, um, would be willing to take over the rest of the year, which I declined immediately. Hmm. I said, you know, Phil, I, I, I can't coach. Um, going to school, blah, blah, blah. And anyways, he convinced me. He said, just take it over for a little while until we find somebody. 
and I was so cheap, I, I, I was getting paid $6,000, so I don't think they were in a hurry to rent, to replace me. <laughs> the team, team was very good. I was I was just awful. And uh, it's funny because then, uh, then a, kind of a light kind of goes back on again. Same thing as uh, when people were telling me I couldn't play earlier. Um, now the, the fans were telling me I couldn't coach. They were booing our team. I took it personally. Um, then Phil Esposito asked me to come back the following season. And um, that's when I, 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 I kind of fell in love with the, with the team. I wanted to make them better. And uh, so I went out and learned how to be a coach. I, I, I went to the library. I went to uh, or a bookstore and I seen this book called The Sacred Hoops. And I thought it was a spiritual book, tell you the truth. Yeah. But it was uh, Phil Jackson's uh, coaching philosophy that he had with the Chicago Bulls. And so I, I read it. I, I was just amazed what he did with the, with the Chicago Bulls, with Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, uh, Michael Jordan, all these um, great players and how he had stretches and uh, in the circle and all this stuff. I mean, so if he could do, if he could do that in the NBA, I can certainly do it with a bunch of junior kids. Yeah, I went back to the drawing board and uh, I learned from, I, I met with Ray Shiro. Uh, I got uh, Ray to uh, share a little bit of information with his dad. I was a Philadelphia Flyer, Flyer fan growing up a little bit. And, um, and one of the materials that I got from him was uh, this first headline that says, you have to learn to win with what you got or you don't win at all. And, and to me, it made so much sense because I, I never really complained growing up what I didn't have. I just worked with what I had. And here I was coaching junior hockey and going, geez, I wish I had a bigger defense and wish I had better goaltending. I wish it were stupid things that I, I should, instead of, should have been concentrating on the team. So I went back and, and lo and behold, we, we started winning. We, we won the Ontario Hockey League Championship. Um, we had some wonderful players. We had Adam Foote and Stevie Sullivan and Aaron Gavey and Danny Cluche, Kevin Hodson. They all played in the, played in the NHL. So uh, Danny Lambert. Uh, so we had some wonderful, wonderful players. And, um, and we won three, uh, three consecutive uh, league titles. And we finally won the Memorial Cup in, in 93, and which led on to the um, Hartford Whalers. I went there for one year's uh, uh, lockout year for a part-time season. Next year, they, they offered me a job in, with the Buffalo Sabres. Well, this big win, and, and as you know, Ted, a lot of people consider the Memorial Cup the toughest hockey championship to win. And after that win in 93, as you say, you go up to the NHL, head coach of the Buffalo Sabres, two seasons, 95 to 97. I want to talk about in Buffalo a huge turning point in your career involving your star player, Patty Lafontaine, La La Lafontaine, to those of us, uh, as you know, Southern Ontario, we got those great feeds from Buffalo. A vicious hit during a game had dislodged Lafontaine's helmet. His unprotected head struck the ice, leaving him unconscious for several minutes. He actually returned to a game, played seven more games before you, his coach Ted, pulled him from the lineup, and you refused to allow Pat Lafontaine to play again until he was healthy. However, this put you in direct conflict with both the Sabres general manager and even Sabres ownership who insisted they were paying Pat LaFontaine big bucks, wanted him on the ice. This caused huge tension. What do you want to say now when you look through the lens of 2023? We obviously know so much more about concussions, but how did you have it within you at that time to realize the right move was looking after the person? You know, I, I, I always viewed sports a lot lot different from, uh, obviously I'm, I'm very competitive. I want to win. And, uh, but will I do anything to win? Um, I'm not too sure about that. Uh, if, uh, if someone's bigger and better and you know, stronger at that moment and beats you, then 
and hats off to him. Congratulations. But uh, to try to do something that's that's not right is is not with me. And uh, so when I when I was coaching Patty, um, when when he got hit, he got hit really hard. I think it was his fifth or fourth or sixth concussion that he that he suffered over his career. And uh, he got hit on a maybe I, I don't know the exact dates, but uh, he got hit on a, on a Wednesday and the next Thursday he's back playing. I'm going that was pretty quick. Um, and as he was playing, I, I noticed his uh, his behavior wasn't uh, he wasn't sharp. His his uh, had a couple conversation with him. His eyeballs weren't moving as as quick as they they should have been. And because uh, I, I met with my players a lot, Andrew, uh, that's one thing I I try to do on a, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, meet with the players. Just ask them how how life's going, what they're doing, uh, how their family is, uh, what are they going to do after their playing careers. And, and I know that's a taboo and thing you don't want to talk about all that. But I I do because the careers all end, and uh, unfortunately a lot of our players are not ready for for the end. Uh, so you just t- start talking about. Uh, uh, plans and life in general. So Patty and I were having a conversation, um, and I noticed uh, he wasn't really answering it as as quick as he could. And I asked if he was okay, and he told me he was. Then I asked him again. I said, "Patty, are you really okay? I mean, just doesn't." Then all of a sudden, some tears start coming down, and, and uh, I knew it wasn't okay. So I I said, uh, "We're going to Hartford uh, tomorrow. Uh, you're going to stay behind. I'll I'll tell everybody you pulled the groin." Uh, have a couple of days rest. We don't play for the following week. That'll give you enough time to to see what's going on. And all of a sudden, he broke down. He he started, uh, um, and I thought to this day, I thought I was going to get a biggest slap on the back and congratulations. And I'm glad you saw that. We didn't see it. Uh, we missed it. No, what I got was complete opposite. Uh, they called me up and. I didn't have a chance to call uh, John Muckler to let him know that my decision was. Before I went, Patty must have told the trainer. The trainer told Muckler right away. He called me and said, what are you doing? He said, you're not a effing doctor. Uh, you're going to play him. I said, uh, if I just give him a day off. Uh, I'm, I, I can't go back to my word. I'm not going to play him. He said, I'm telling you to play him. And I said, um, unfortunately, John, I'm, I'm not going to play him. And then he got the owner to call me. And the owner basically said the same thing. And I basically said the same thing to them. I said, I, I can't play him. And thankfully, uh, I didn't because his, his wife, Mary Beth, took him to uh, another doctor, found out that he had uh, post-concussion syndrome. And if he would have been hit in that state of mind, who, who knows what could have could have happened. I mean, hockey or anything in life is is not worth, not worth that. And so I thought uh, it was the best decision uh, I've ever made as, as a coach. And... Uh, what turned out to, uh, when you when you when you when you turn down management and ownership to, to play, you, you know your days are going to be numbered. And um, right from that point, it, it really changed um, uh, our relationship, and it just got worse and worse. And and at the, at the end of the season, um, they basically offered me the same contract that I did, even though winning the coach of the year of the National Hockey League. No races, no no bonuses, no nothing. Um, so anyways, I, I turned it down and, uh, and I was out of hockey for 10 years. Well, fast forward to today, and Pat LaFontaine is still a friend of yours, and Pat LaFontaine has a life of a normal person that he wouldn't have otherwise had if sudden hadn't not been looking out for him as you did, Ted. You won the Jack Adams Trophy, NHL Coach of the Year, 96-97, as you note, then not in hockey for 10 years, 
obviously frustrating. You came back and got an opportunity with the New York Islanders for two seasons. How was Charles Wang as an owner, 2006 to 2008, when you were with the Islanders? Uh, Charles was uh, Charles was was a different owner. He, he was he, he was really. I'm not too sure. I don't know too many owners, but uh, he was really involved. He, he was really involved. He, we had meetings. He, he, he believed in a, in a concept of of, of everybody uh, contributing with the GM, the coach, the scouts, the player development guy. We we meet on a on a, reg, a weekly basis. We talk about ideas and how to how to um, how to get fans in the building. How to promote our team more even though my coach my job was to coach a team i was in the <laughs> in the marketing meetings and what he was he was a uh, the relationship i had with him it, it was okay i mean he was he was he was fine to me he made a cash contribution to my foundation that i that i started my during my 10 years that was out of the game uh, i started the the ted, ted nolan foundation we give scholarships to first nation women across the country and we give what probably a three close to three million dollars worth of, of adversary. So uh, it was a good thing. What one good thing about being out of hockey was able to do that. But Charles was uh, uh, he made con- uh, cash contributions to us and, and helped out quite a bit. And so he was uh, he was just a, a different uh, different owner. He gave longest contracts. I think he gave one to Rick DiPietro. <laughs> I think he's still getting paid. <laughs> yeah, he is. Alexi Lashin, Yashin got a big contract, so he was just a, a different, uh, different bird. But uh, you know, I'm glad you asked that question because one of the things that came out of Andrew was was uh, how to get more people in, in the building. And, and anyways, I'm walking to the dressing room every day for practices and games, and, and I see all the the four Stanley Cup pictures of all the the teams, like the Brian Trotches and Bossies and uh, and all the all the great players they had, Al Arbor. Was a I, I was a fan of. I, I really loved the way Al coached, and I didn't even know who he was, but he just looked like a like a soft, demeaning type of caring individual. And I see, and I think fourteen hundred and ninety nine games coached, five hundred and ninety nine wins. So I, I went to the meeting. And I said, I know how to sell out a game. And he said, How's that? He said, We signed Al over for one game. We bring him back, then he gets his fifteen hundredth game. And if we win, he gets a 600th win. Now, I think it'll, we could sell that game on a Sunday morning at 6 in the morning, Charles, and we could sell that game out. So anyways, and all the, uh, there's a few highlights of my career, but um, uh, working on the side, I mean, if you're a football fan, having a chance to coach next to uh, Vince Lombardi would be a, would be a dream. Uh, in baseball, you know, coaching one of the, the best coaches of basketball. And here I was uh, staying on a bench with one of the true legends of the game, Nell Arbor. Um, was was one of those games I'll, I'll always re- remember. And uh, we did some good things. But Charles was uh, was a guy that allowed us to, to think outside the box a little bit. Yeah, clearly. But you were a marketing guy, Ted. Yeah. <laughs> now you returned to Buffalo. You coached another two seasons there, 2013 to 2015. But afterwards, you went abroad led the Latvian men's Olympic team in the 2014 Sochi Olympics. How did you get involved with the Latvian hockey program? And, Ted, I want you to be honest, because I'm going to admit, I don't know. I would not be able to find Latvia on a map. Did you know where it was, and how did you get involved? I had no idea where it was. I didn't know they had a hockey team. A friend of mine, a colleague I met through one of my hockey buddies, he called me up one day. He said, hey, Ted, would you like to coach, uh, coach Latvia? I said, what, what, what team is that? I said, what, what league do they play in? And uh, I said, they're, they're not a team player. They're, they're a country. I said, well, where do they play? Said, 
He said, they're in the A pool. I said, oh, they get, they're the team that gets beat 15 nothing and 12 nothing. those guys? He said, yeah, one of those things. So he said, uh, would you like to coach them? I said, what's your, and it was, I think, to, to now I look back, it was one of the best jobs I ever had. It was full-time pay, part-time work. So I only went over for, uh, for tournament play. Uh, but the best thing about it, they, they, it's over there a little bit different. The coaches are kind of like the player personnel guys. And the management is the the one who takes care of all the travel, the hotels, the the business side of, of hockey. But the hockey coach is kind of like the he, he's the one who picks the team. And so anyways, they, they said, you could pick the team. I said, really? So anyway, we went over for a month at a time. And, and anyways, the, the guy who asked me if I'd be interested, the last thing he said to me after the first call, he said, Ted, if I get you the job, can I be your assistant? I said, sure. I, I didn't know if, uh, if it was going to He called me the next day and he said, I got you a job. And I think he already had the job. He just, he just probably said, I can talk. I can convince Ted to come in as long as you bring me. So, but we had a, we had a good time uh, doing it. I was over there for three to four years. Probably one of the better job, hockey jobs I, I had. Uh, it was a small country. You know, I think they only have 10 rinks in the entire country. Wow. At, at the most. They're, they're, they have a league outside of the KHL. They have one KHL team. But outside of that, they have senior hockey and mm -hmm. uh, a bunch of senior teams playing around. And, and uh, you know, we have some pretty good, uh, pretty good star players came. Uh, I convinced Sandus Ozelinch to come out of retirement to join us. And if he didn't come out of uh, retirement to join us, we, we don't win the qualifying tournament. We don't go to the Olympics. So wow. that's how big of an uh, icon he is over there. And so and vast majority of the other guys were, you know, senior hockey players. But... Uh, then all of a sudden you're playing against Cindy Crosby and uh, John Tavares and you know all the all the big guys of NHL. I mean that was, that was quite a quite a quite a quite a feat for those guys to play. Well, this was a Latvian team that shocked the hockey world under your leadership, Ted. Narrowly losing two to one to Team Canada in the quarterfinals, finishing eighth was Latvia's best ever Olympics. And I am guessing, Ted Nolan, you will never have to pay for another meal in Latvia. Well, you know, I, I haven't been back since, but um, <laughs> but uh, I, I I tell you, I really enjoyed. You know, the the one thing I don't I'm not even too sure if this is a word or anymore. Uh, it's kind of they brought sportsmanship. I don't know if it's men's or just sportship. Uh, should be the word maybe. Um, sportsmanship is 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 wonderful over there. Like the the players from after the games, they they stay in the same hotels. They have breakfast together and they mingle together before the game. They're they're talking over here in North America. Your your program from a very early age to to dislike your opponent and don't talk to your opponent. Especially maybe it's getting a little bit better now. But when I was growing up, you, you couldn't talk to players on the other team. I don't know why. You don't want to become friends with them because they're your enemy and your uh, guys you're battling. But over there, they shook hands before the game, after the game. So which thing I, I really love because the one thing I, I when I got involved with with uh, sports was because of that factor. Not because I, you want to hurt somebody or, or do something to, to get ahead. It's just to, and when it's all said and done, it, it is just a game. And, and if you win it, the, there's only one winner every year. If yep. you're, it, uh, you're lucky to do that. Uh, it's amazing. Let's talk, Ted, about the hockey experiences with your sons. One, Jordan, won the Stanley Cup three times, and the other, Brandon, had to retire due to serious concussion issues. Their experiences were very different. And with them also, you had to, as a father now, see them in AAA and make a decision what kind of system they should be playing through. 
Yes, you know we uh, and same thing. We we uh, grew up in Garden River. Uh, I was playing. I was coaching with the Sioux Greyhounds at the time. So they before I got the Hartford job. So they got the they get the experience of the outdoor rink and and I, I put them in hockey. Same reason my dad my dad puts to to make some friends. It's, that's is exciting. And so I, I put them. I did not put them in the game to play in the National Hockey League. I did not play them to play major junior hockey. I just put them in the game because they make some friends. And and lo and behold, they just got better and better. And uh, even their their draft year. Uh, a year before the draft year, we took them both out of AAA hockey and put them in back into house league hockey, because the uh, uh, coaches on both cases were, you know, little, throwing the f bomb around a little bit too much, yelling at the kids and and um, and taking things that that shouldn't be in the game, emphasizing more on that versus just uh, just uh, competitiveness of the sport. So we pulled them out, and lo and behold, Brandon was drafted by the Oshawa Generals. He left home at the age of 16, uh, and he still lives in, in Whitby. Uh, so, so he met his uh, uh, girlfriend there, became his wife, and they have three kids. But Brandon played, uh, um, actually, no disrespect to Jordan or myself, Brandon was probably the, the better of, of uh, the three of us. He, he just loved the game, and he practiced all the time. And, and unfortunately, he suffered a severe head injury when he was only... 2025, which ended, his, and all of a sudden Jordan came up, and when he played in his 26th, 27th year, he he broke that jinx, and Jordan was lucky enough to get drafted by the Brandon got drafted by uh, Vancouver and New Jersey, uh, and Brandon was uh, Jordan was drafted by the LA Kings in the seventh round as a 20 year old, and mm. you know he he. Um, he, he, he Jordan was a, a different, uh, different character because um, he was obviously had the size and the skill level, but his his work and his uh, commitment to the game wasn't. He just played because he, he liked playing. He didn't realize he had to work at it and do all the other stuff. And finally, I think when he was 19 years old, 18 years old, he says, uh, "I asked him one day. I said, Jordan, you, you want uh, you want to play pro? He was playing major junior hockey. He was playing with the Sioux Browns. And uh, so yeah, I want to play. He said, I said, play where? I said, in the NHL, I said, you don't have much hope in that is, is that cup of coffee sitting there. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, you got to work on it, George. you got to get some exercise and you got to do it. So anyways, give him credit. He, he joined up to a gym that year. He, he started working on his conditioning, and, and all of a sudden, he just got really uh, – his, his, and like I said, I believe anybody can do anything as long as you're, you're showed how to do it. And mm-hmm. And I didn't get involved with the finer points of the game because I just wanted to be their dad more so than their hockey coach. Yeah. But uh, Jordan took it to heart. He worked out, and two years later, he's he's hoisting the the, the Stanley Cup with the LA Kings. Good finish to that for sure. Ted, uh, we talked about you playing with some icons of hockey: Wayne, Mario, Stevie Y. But I want to also ask you about two of the brothers from Slapshot. You mentioned one of them. You played with Dave Hansen in Adirondack and Steve Carlson in Baltimore. Uh, were they as crazy as the Hanson brothers as portrayed in the Slapshot movie? Well, I, I don't know Steve very well. I just played with him a little bit, maybe maybe 10 games. Uh, that's when uh, I signed with Pittsburgh uh, after I had a good year in Rochester, New York. And I thought uh, I was going to play with the Penguins, so I was more disappointed as getting sent down. Played with Steve a little bit there. didn't get to know him very, very well. Dave Hanson on the other side, I played with him uh, for almost two years or so, or so in, uh, in uh, Glens Falls, New York. And... 
I wouldn't say he's an Academy Award-winning actor, <laughs> but uh, as as good as he portrayed Taylor uh, Hansen on on the on the movie, he was a better individual. He was a he was a really really nice man, uh, and we still uh, we still have contact. Um, we we both got inducted into the Odd Rodneck Hall of Fame together uh, about five, five or six years ago. Um, so I, I still got his number. I call him occasionally, but what a wonderful man. He was a Christian man. Um, and I, I just love the guy. He just really, it was, uh, as tough as he was on the ice, he was probably as equally soft off the ice. He was just a very caring man. So, uh, I would say he was one of the, one of the, uh, better, better guy, better teammates I ever had. Ted, you are known as a player's coach. You get along with and support your guys. I'm therefore very curious about the differences in coaching to different audiences. Of course, you coach the pros of tomorrow and junior. They're hungry to learn from you, get to the NHL. But you also coach pros who are, quote, already there, have huge contracts, a set way of doing things. In some cases, an attitude of, you know, play me or trade me. How did you adjust your coaching style depending on the level you were coaching at? You know, I, I got asked that question, uh, I think, right after uh, I made the jump to the Hartford Whalers uh, in that lockout season. I went to a banquet and somebody asked me, said, Ted, what's the difference between coaching junior hockey and, and NHL? And I said, even better yet, because I, I coached my son uh, that year also. He was a 12-year-old. So I coached 12-year-olds, 18 to 17-year-olds, and 30 NHL players. So I said that the message is all the same. Except how you deliver it is 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 the key. And how you're going to deliver something to a 12 year old is different than you're going to do with to an 18 year old, and vice versa to an NHL player. And I think we're all we all have egos and, and personalities and, and 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 what have you. But I just think uh, I growing up in a, in a family of 12 um, and knowing how my parents made me feel special. And then all of a sudden, my other brother said he felt special, and my sister said she felt special. So we all felt special. So I wanted to take that same philosophy into into the game. I just wanted the, the star players to to feel like they're the, the most gifted people on the team. They're going to get all the all the attention. No, the the fourth line guys who are are doing that um, should get equal treatment and equal uh, respect as as much as the top guys. I was always on that the bottom end of the of the scale. And we turn over the puck. Boy, we didn't see the ice for four or five shifts. And all of a sudden, the top guy, he turns it over five or six times. He still gets out there. So I, I didn't think that was fair. So what I try to do is is everywhere I go, no matter how much money you make, money never never entered the equation with me. Um, uh, it's a people that you that you have, and what w- willingness are, are they? A good teammate? Are they are they willing to share? Are they, are they uh, greedy? I want to score 50 goals so I can get a big contract, or do I want to score five and get a, get a championship? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's that's the big difference. I mean, uh, winning a winning a championship, no no couple stars do it themselves. You, you need a team, especially in uh, going late in the playoffs. The wear and tear of the team, so you need those guys in order to. Um, uh, well, a friend of mine once told me a long time ago. He said, "Ted, if you want to go somewhere quick, just go by yourself. But if you want to go somewhere far, you have to go together. You have to have backup, and you have to have support system." So I took that same philosophy into into hockey. It's a very simple philosophy, but I think it's a it's a wolf mentality. It's a, it's a pack, and it's not uh, making it 8-1, where you can use that ice time to develop the third and fourth line guys even more than uh, making the first line guys get their 30th, 
20, you know, 45 goals. Uh, why not watch the fourth line guy get his sixth, <laughs> watch him get his 10th goal and watch the excitement from that. It just builds uh, team morale and, uh, and that's the way I've always coached. I've, uh, when I coached the uh, Sioux Greyhounds, we never had a top uh, 10 score, I, I don't believe. Um, because once we got the game under control, that's when the third and fourth line guys got to play power play. They got to do penalty killing. They got to do all the things that the top-end guys did. And the top-end guys appreciated watching them do their thing because they cheer them on too. So it's, it's, a, it's a team sport. Well, I am selfishly taking advantage of this opportunity to be with an expert, Ted. I am the coach of the Richmond Hill Lightning under-16 ringette team. We're going to our provincial championships in a few weeks. We have a huge variance in skill level amongst the girls. Frankly, I am struggling to get them to play together as a team. Before I get uh, fired <laughs> from my volunteer position, Coach Ted Nolan, any tips on getting everyone rowing the boat together in the same direction? Well, you know, it, to, to me, it's it's uh, words. Words are, are very important. You know, we, we always talk about, uh, you know, doing things, but, um, and, and actions be behind those words and, and making sure that everybody feels part of it. And, uh, you know, we have a tendency sometimes as, as hockey people to, to pay a little bit more attention to the, the top end players and not enough to the bottom end players. And to me, I, I kind of reversed it a little bit because I was a bottom end player. And I wanted, I wanted that recognition. I wanted a coach to say, hey, Teddy, good job out there. You, you worked good tonight. Never once did he say that. But uh, a star who scored two goals, but he was minus five. There you go. Good game out there. I'm going home. Well, he was minus five. So anyways, just the, the simple understanding and compassion of, of human spirit and human behavior is, is one thing I, I think uh, people in sports have to really, really learn. We, as you know, we're all humans. Like there's the human element, it's huge. You have been fantastic with your time. I wanna ask you before we close off, Ted, what are you working on and where can we best follow you and everything you are working on? Uh, well, the, the, the one thing, Andrew, that I, I've been really, you know, I had some really cool jobs in my life and opportunities and going to Latvia and uh, coaching NHL and, and junior hockey. But right now I'm, I'm, uh, I'm coaching my, my two boys. It's funny, when I started coaching the Sioux Greyhounds and I started playing in the Sioux Greyhounds and I started playing in rec hockey, I didn't play because I wanted to get to the National Hockey League. I just played because it was a wonderful sport to play. And... Uh, uh, whether I, I coached NHL or I coach uh, Peewees, it doesn't really matter. The, the the feeling is still the same. But right now I get to do it on a regular basis. I'm working with my two boys. Brandon, uh, uh, when he retired, he went back to school and got his business and marketing degree. And Jordan, uh, he just retired last year. He went uh, year before. He went back to got his fireman degree, or he's a registered fireman now. And uh, hopefully, then they're both starring in that movie. Uh, uh, Shorzy, and okay. we, so we we do a, a program called the Three N, Three Nolans, and we go into uh, majority of First Nation communities, and we we talk to the kids about uh, uh, about schooling, about nutrition, about uh, going to bed early, and, and making good decisions. And and even though you're you're from a, a remote place, you can still uh, do some great things. Yeah, it doesn't matter where you live; it's what you do with what you live with. 
and uh, all three of us grew up in Garden River. We, we didn't have the uh, luxury of, of a lot of things, but we, we made it work with what we have. So we tried to inspire the, the kids about uh, just being the best human beings that they could be, not, not so much about being a good player, just about being a good, good person, listening at school and uh, eat, trying to eat properly, get to bed uh, relatively early. So doing that job with, with my two boys. Now we're starting to do it into uh, – uh, uh, school systems were going into school and talk to the kids about diversity and inclusion. And because when I went to uh, when I went to the city school, I, I didn't feel part of it. I, I felt uh, uh, outside looking in. I never felt uh, invited anywhere. So just getting the times of changing now. It's you know 2023 now. Uh, so we should be a little bit more accepting and understanding of, of one another. So we we do that, and I, I just love it. I, I really do. Well, that's fabulous, and. Everyone interested should go to 3nolans.com for more information and to keep up with Ted and his boys. Ted, fantastic meeting you. Thanks for all your stories, and I wish you continued success. Well, thank you very much for having me on, Andrew. My pleasure. And to the listeners, we thank you for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends Podcast. And on behalf of Ted Nolan, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo. This is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.